West Bowles. Good morning. Thank you for being here this morning. Uh, question for you. Watching the Olympics? It is so fun. Every single, every single time they come around, it's so fun. And it's all fun to watch, but I think there's one event that I get so excited for every single time it comes around. And it's this event, the 100-meter race on tra in track and field. And I get excited because whoever wins that race is crowned the world's fastest, fastest human. And on the men's side of things, since 2008, a man named Usain Bolt has absolutely dominated this race, among some other races. And um, I, I just, I watch him and I'm just absolutely, absolutely amazed. In fact, if you don't know who he is, by now a lot of you probably do know who he is and what a name for a sprinter, Bolt. But take a look at this. Here, here is Usain Bolt in action. And if you need help figuring out who it is, he's the one who wins. Gatlin got a good enough start. Bolt was a bit slow to begin. He's got some work to do. Gatlin's in front. Bolt stretching out now. He's coming after him. He's immortal now. Usain's done it. Gatlin challenge for the silver medal. 9.80 all the way from Beijing to London and now to Rio. It is one of the greatest athletic achievements of all time, if not the very greatest. Well, Usain Bolt has now won nine Olympic gold medals. He has run that race actually faster than you saw there. He's run it in 9.58 seconds. But as you watch that, I think you were getting the same thought I get when I watch it. That guy looks just like Nathan. And I... I uh, <laughs> No, you think what I think. You watch him and you just go, he's going to lose. He's going to lose because for over half the race, you think he's behind. And then he, he not only wins, he makes it look like he, he wins easily. And there's a reason for this slow start. Numerous sports scientists, numerous coaches, numerous ex-Olympic sprinters, and, and numerous fans have noticed how tall he is. And the key to accelerating is the ability to take a lot of steps in order to gain acceleration. Well, he can't do that because of how tall he is. In fact, one commentator throughout the Olympics, I started to get tired of hearing him say, I think Bolt's going to lose. I think Bolt's going to lose this race. And yet, every single time he wins. But he's got this incredibly slow first half of the race, and it's only a 10-second race. Well, they interviewed him after his semifinal win, and they said, what were you thinking when you were behind the first half of that race? And he said, well, I just figured I'd keep my cool, and uh, I'll, I'd get back into it at around 60 meters. And I went, what? It's a 10-second race. By 60 meters, you have about four seconds to catch up. And yet he does, and he wins convincingly. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think before his race, Usain Bolt pulls out his cell phone, and he calls Nathan Harrison and says, hey, Nathan, how do you, how do you think I should run this race? Yes, thank you for that. Actually, I've tried to call him. He won't call me back. It's kind of crazy. No, he doesn't call me. You think he calls the commentators? Do you think he calls the sports scientists who say, ah, he's not, he's not going to win this. He starts too slow. He gets out of the blocks too slow. You think he calls them? No. No, he doesn't call them. He doesn't listen to those voices. And so here's a question for you. Why do we? The truth is, I think every single one of us has some expert opinions in our lives, right? It might be somebody from years ago. It might be somebody in your life right now. 
Or if you're like me for a long, long time, that expert opinion has been me. And I listen to this voice over and over and over. Usain Bolt would tell you there's one voice in his, in, in his life that matters. And it's a coach. And the coach gets to speak into every single thing that Usain Bolt does. His training, his strategy, his eating, his sleeping, his schedule, you name it, his running form. And that coach gets to say, look, hey, on a practice track, when no one else is watching, when nobody else is watching, before you go out and you, you run in front of a crowd, let's work on some things right here. Before you go prove the scientists and the commentators and everybody else wrong, let's work on some things right here. Before you go win a race out there, let's work on some things right here. Now, why do I bring all this up? Because I think just like an athlete with a coach, we all have one voice in our lives that should really, really matter. The question is, are we listening to that voice? Because it's a voice of your heavenly father that I think says this, before you go out there, before you win them, and if you don't get anything else this morning, please get this. Before you win them, let me win you. Before you win them, before you run out the door every single day, before you win them, let me win you. Now, last week, first part of Luke chapter 24, where we're going to be again this morning, we got a picture of how close God is to us. And I think this next part of Luke chapter 24 is really God saying, now I want you to see what God will do through you. Last week, how close I am to you. This week, what I want to do through you. And I believe that Luke chapter 24 is an echo of this statement, before you win them, let me win you. But it's also a picture of the expert opinions in our lives. Let me show you what I mean. We're in Luke chapter 24, and what has happened is Jesus had been crucified, and, and he suddenly showed up, as we looked at this story last week. He showed up, and he's walking with these two guys on a road to a village called Emmaus. And he's revealing to them, he's opening their eyes to who is right in front of them, that he's right there. And they get to the dinner table, and it's, it's kind of funny. He, he breaks the bread and gives it to them, and suddenly their eyes are opened, and they recognize who Jesus is. And right when they recognize who he is, what's he do? He disappears. Like, ah, fun trick, Jesus. Thank you. And, and these two, it says, at once, it was a seven-mile journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. At once, they ran back to Jerusalem. They go back to Jerusalem, and when they get there, they discover that they're not the only ones who had had an encounter with the risen Jesus. Another account of Jesus' life says he had appeared to a woman named Mary Magdalene. She thought he was a gardener at first. And then he finds out when he gets there, he's appeared to, to Peter. And now all these disciples are in this room. And they're talking about, oh my goodness, you can feel the excitement. You can feel the energy in the room. They're going, I saw him. I experienced him. He saw him. They saw him. And then verse 36 happens. Look at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. Okay, I'm just going to come out and say this. This is absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I mean, have you ever had the feeling you're not alone? Have you had those moments where you thought you were alone, but someone else is in the room? One night, I got up in the middle of the night. It's about 3 in the morning to go to the restroom. And I come out of the bathroom, and everything's dark. And suddenly, I went, someone's in the room. 
Someone's in the room, and there, standing right there in the darkness, is our, is our nine-year-old daughter, Lainey, and she's just like this. And it's absolutely terrifying. And went, not that, not that this was going to help me. I don't know karate, okay? And I just went, don't do that. And I have to think the disciples are sitting here going, Jesus, don't do that to us. And then he says this really, really silly thing right after he startled them. Look what he says. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And I read that and I just think that is a, Jesus, that is a terrible thing to say right now. It's the worst possible thing you could have said. Number one, because you just showed up and startled us. There is no peace right now, okay? Number two, you just did this Jesus trick where, where two of us saw you and then he disappeared before our very eyes. Oh, and then minor detail here. Number three, three days ago, we saw you die. You were dead and now you're here. And according to every scary movie I've ever seen in my life, when the dead guy shows up in the room you're in, does not end well, all right? What kind of a thing is this to say? And so you can understand when you see verse 37. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Yes, that's an understatement. We would be too. So I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Jesus, this is a terrible thing to say right now. And yet when you think, when you think about who was standing there, just think about it. This group of disciples, this may have been the most reassuring thing they could have heard out of Jesus' mouth. And I think it's one of the most reassuring things we can hear out of Jesus' mouth. Because think about the last time he was together with this group before he died. You remember what that was? Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, he said to this group of disciples, hey, the hour is getting near, referring to his death. The hour is getting near. Come pray with me. And you remember what they did? Yeah, they fell asleep. And, and then they came to arrest Jesus. And do you remember what the disciples did? I mean, a couple of them thought they'd defend him, and so one of them takes out a sword and cuts off a guard's ear, and Jesus is just like, no, no. Heals the guy's ear. But they scattered. They scattered. They betrayed him in his hour of need. They failed him. Do you think that maybe they were standing there wondering what Jesus thought about them? The first time they had seen him as a group since he died? Yeah. Do you think they wondered if maybe Jesus was upset with them and angry with them? Yeah. Let me bring it to us. Do you ever wonder how God feels about you in light of your failures? Do you ever wonder if he's upset with you? If you're like me, the answer to that would be, yeah. And yet, Jesus, Jesus, it's, it's so interesting what he says here. Peace be with you. What's that mean? It means that, hey, guys, last time I saw you, it was probably the worst moment of your life. One of your worst failures, and yet I didn't cancel the cross. I went to the cross. So, peace to you peace be with you. I went to the cross, and now you have peace between you and your heavenly Father. 
Jesus says, that failure, that moment, I died for that. And I think one of the, ex- one of the biggest expert opinions that we, we tend to listen to way too much in our lives is this very thing. We listen to our past. We listen to our failures, and we think that those say who we are. And yet Jesus says, no, I, I don't see your past. In fact, Jesus, the first way he, he wins us is he overcomes our past by offering his peace. Jesus overcomes our past by offering his peace. Not too long after the shootings happened at Columbine High School down the road here in 1999, this church decided uh, that, yes, there, there were 13 victims at Columbine, and there were, there were also... Um, the two, the two perpetrators, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, who had died at Columbine. And so the church, um, the leadership felt strongly. I was just out of high school at the time, but I remember the leadership feeling strongly, strongly, that there were 15 families hurting out there. The 13 families of the victims, but also the families of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. And so we have a prayer garden out here, this west field, where 15 trees were planted. And understandably, this, this upset some people. This upset a number of people because it was a raw, painful time. And so one Sunday morning we showed up here and there were a group of people that um, they went out to the west field and they cut down two of these trees. And, And I remember for months it was a painful, painful thing to think about for this church. And these stumps were a reminder every single day of this thing that had happened. Well, I also had the privilege of getting to mow the field out here for a number of years. And you know what I started to notice each spring is I'd come out there for that first mowing out on the field. In these stumps, something was happening with them. There was a sprout coming out of one of the stumps. And then later that year, there was another sprout coming out of one of the stumps. And you started to get these branches. And every single year, you'd get more and more branches. Here's what they look like today. Those were stumps at one time. And I look at that and I just go, there it is. That's what Jesus does with your past. He's not going to leave it a stump. He's not. And this is what he's saying to the, to the disciples. Look, I offer you peace. Peace be with you. So it's not this terrible thing for him to say to them in the moment. It's the perfect thing. For him to say to them and to us in the moment. Well, let's keep going. We're only two verses in. So the conversation continues, and, and Jesus answers them after they're startled and frightened. Verse 38, he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Now, I want you to think again for a moment at who he's standing among. Because he knew these weren't just men who, who remember their failures. These are men who, who had doubted. Think about it. He had, he had Peter there. And Peter, remember he had that moment where Jesus called him out onto the water, and Jesus is on the water, and then he starts to doubt, and he begins to sink. And so Peter's got this in his past. And then you've got Nathaniel standing there, who's also referred to as Bartholomew. I've never figured that out. I've never had the nickname Bartholomew, being named Nathan, but Here's Nathaniel standing there. And when he first heard about Jesus, this man from Nazareth, do you know what Nathaniel said? He said, Naz- excuse me, Nazareth? 
I don't think he started like that. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And he questioned Jesus. And then he had all these disciples at a group. They were in the boat this one time, and a storm came up. And they're terrified, and they're frightened, and they look over, and Jesus is sleeping. And they finally wake him up, and he said, why are you afraid? You of little faith. See, Jesus was standing among some doubting men, and he knew this. He knew that they were troubled and that doubts had, had arisen in their minds. Now, have you noticed what we do when we have doubts in our mind? We often look for a reason not to have that doubt. We look for an explanation, something that would just explain the thing that's right in front of my face that I don't understand right now. And yet, that is not what Jesus gives them. Look at verse 39. He said, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And then look at the progression with the disciples here. Remember, they're startled, they're frightened, and there are doubts in their minds. But look, look at the next verse. And while they still did not believe it, because of, where are they now? Because of joy and amazement. Interesting. What Jesus has just done has helped them shift from doubt and startled and frightened to joy and amazement. While they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And when I first read that, I thought, well, it just kind of went over my head. And I realized Jesus, he's not telling them something. He's showing them something. He's saying, flesh and bone, here I am. And does a ghost need to eat food? No. And here he is eating in front of them. He's saying, guys, this isn't a scary movie. I'm here. I'm back. And, and I think here we see the second expert opinion that reigns in our lives a lot of times. It's doubt. There's our past, and there's doubt. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't offer an explanation. Instead, he, he overcomes the doubt with an encounter, with an experience. Part of how Jesus wins us over is he, he, he overcomes our doubts with encounters, not explanations. And I think we all know this. There are some things in life that an explanation just won't do, will it? Will it? I mean, let me ask you this. Would you rather encounter an experience, a kiss, or would you rather have one explained to you? You know what? Let's, let's read the explanation of a kiss together, shall we? Take a look at this. Two people press their moist, creased facial passageways together. Cinch tight the muscles that draw the flesh around the oral cavity together into a bulbous mound and exchange breath thus creating an expression of fondness for one another. You still want an explanation? Ew. I mean, that is disgusting. That is absolutely disgusting. A few weeks ago, I read this to my wife, and then I was like, hey, come on, give me a kiss. She's like, no thanks. It's going to be a while. So uh, I, I figured if that got ruined for me, it can be ruined for all of us, okay? I'll apologize later. <laughs> but
But sometimes an explanation doesn't do, and Jesus knows that. And so he overcomes our doubts, not with an explanation, but an encounter. Well, the conversation continues. Verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then, verse 45, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This is really interesting to me. Last week, when we saw just how close he is to us, part of what he used, the scriptures. Now he's wanting to show the disciples, here's what I'm going to do through you. And he opens their minds to the scriptures. And he tells them what the scriptures say. Verse 46, he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. That's part one. Check. Hey, guess what? He's saying, hey, guys, guess what? We're on the third day right now. So part one of that plan completed. Part two, verse 47, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, you got to stop here because in Jerusalem at that time, there... It was estimated to have a population of about 600,000 people. All nations at that time, the population of the entire world, over 300 million people. We've got that in the U.S. today, but back then, that was the population, they think, of the entire world. Jesus is saying to the disciples, this thing is going to explode outside of Jerusalem. But it's going to start in Jerusalem. And then he, he says something totally unexpected. It's unexpected because of the past these guys have. It's unexpected because of the doubts these guys have. But look at what he says in verse 48. You, you are witnesses of these things. And if you're standing there, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. Oh, me? Me? Jesus is saying, you're going to do this. No, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. And you know, why, you know why I think we get that response? I don't know if that's what they were thinking here. But if I know if I was standing there, I'd be thinking it. Because we think in terms of what I can do. We think in terms of our own strength to carry out the thing in front of us. So I imagine this was maybe a little bit surprising to them. And then he goes on. He says, I am going to send what my father has promised. Well, what did the father promise? It's that thing we talked about this spring, the Holy Spirit. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm sending something for you guys. You don't have to worry about this. See, just like my peace can overcome your past, just like an encounter with me can overcome your doubts, well, my spirit can overcome your strength. And that's another expert opinion in our lives, isn't it? Our strength. We often think in terms of what I can do and what I'm capable of. And so Jesus overcomes our dependence on our strength by sending his spirit. He's saying there's, there's, there's something more than what you can do here. About 11, 12 years ago, um, I, I had wanted, I grew up wanting to be a firefighter. And so 11 or 12 years ago, I decided I'm going to test for the fire department. And I tested for West Metro Fire Department. And in the months leading up to that, I mean, I, I gathered all the book knowledge that I thought I needed. 
And I felt like I was ready to go from that perspective. But I also, I just thought that I had this image in my mind. I was like, firefighters, strong. So I spent a lot of time lifting weights, a ton of time lifting weights, because I knew I wanted to be strong for whenever the physical test portion came up. Well, the day of the written test came and made it through that. And they said, congratulations, you're going on to the physical portion of the test. And that next week, it was that following Saturday, I had to report to this fire training uh, academy. And what they do is they load you down with bunker gear. And you got to run up this tower with a hose. And you've got to you know, hoist something up and lower it back down, run back down the stairs, drag this 160-pound dummy. And then you got to run. you got to run. I mean, there's more to it than this, but this is what I remember. you got to run with this 40-pound vest. you got to run a quarter mile with this thing. And in the middle of doing that, do you know what I realized you need more than your strength? little thing called oxygen. You need oxygen. And I realized I should have been running this entire time. I should have been running. The truth is I'd been focused on the wrong thing. Across the finish line, and I'm, I'm like down on the ground. I don't want to be too graphic, but throwing up. And this firefighter stands over me, and he's like, yep. It's how you know you did it right. And I just went, oh, can it, okay? But have you ever been focused on the wrong thing? Jesus, I think, is telling them this, and he's saying, I don't want you to get focused on the wrong thing here. Don't get focused on your strength, because I'm sending something better. And Jesus is about to continue. He's basically just told the disciples, you're going into a squirt gun fight, and you're gonna get a, I'm giving you a fire hose to go into that fight with. But look, think about who he's saying this to one more time. Not only were these men who had had past failures, not only were these men who had doubts, but these were also some go-getters. These were guys who at times were wanting to run out the door and show the world what they could do. I mean, once again, you had Peter, right? And how many times do you see Peter kind of push himself to the front of the line and go, I got this one, Jesus. I got it. You had Peter, you had two guys called, nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. The Sons of Thunder. And at one time, these two had argued about, hey, when Jesus comes to power, um, Jesus, which one of us is going to have a throne right next to you? Which one of us is going to be most visible, Jesus? Is, is it me or is it him? In fact, one time, there was a village who disagreed with what Jesus had said to them. And these two, you know what they said? Jesus, should we... Should we call down fire on them? And once again, Jesus is going, no. No, it's not what you do. There was also someone standing there as Jesus is saying all this to them, named Simon the Zealot. Do you know what zealots did? Well, they were zealous for their cause. And they often brought about change by way of uprisings and rebellions and force. And so Jesus is here standing in the midst of a bunch of go-getters. Now, can you imagine... Can you imagine, after all you've seen Jesus do, and now he's just come back from the dead, he looks at you, and he says, look, what we've been talking about and what we've been doing, it is about to explode. It's about to explode far beyond anything you've seen or could fathom. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you everything you need to go do that. You think you might want to run right out the door? Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's where the disciples were. Luke 24 doesn't tell us. 
But I do know this. Jesus, knowing men's hearts. Jesus, saying the things he said so perfectly, I have to think that he placed what he said next for a reason. Look at verse 49 in its entirety. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay. 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 Stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. In other words, disciples, I know that you want to run out the door. I know that you want to preach repentance and forgiveness and you want to take this all over the world, but stay. I know you want to go to all nations, but stay. I know you just want to run out the door and you want to show the world about me, but stay. Because I think Jesus knows there's that thing in us that wants to run right out the door. And yet Jesus says, before you win them, let me win you. This is, just, this is Jesus saying, the task before you, it doesn't need more you. It needs more than you. And so wait until you've been given more than you. One of my favorite pictures of this, one of my favorite reminders of this, and this is going to take us to our, our numbers this morning. If you haven't been here, we're going through a series called Numbers, in which we're talking about those chapter numbers and those verse numbers in Scripture that you need to know and you need to hang on to. Well, there's, there's a story in the Old Testament. God's temple has been demolished. It was destroyed. And it, it's just a mountain of rubble. And there's a man named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. Quick side note, if you are pregnant and you are looking for baby names, may I offer up Zerubbabel? I think it would be really fun to see baby Zerubbabel running around this place. I'm sorry, I don't mean to make fun. I apologize to any Zerubbabels in the audience with us today, all right? But Zerubbabel has been given the task of rebuilding the temple. And he's looking at this mountain of rubble, and God sends a message to one of his prophets a man named Zechariah. And, and he shows Zechariah this vision that Zechariah doesn't quite understand. And, and he's next to Zerubbabel, and they're looking at this mountain of rubble. And this angel of the Lord says, do you not understand what this is? Do you not understand how this is going to happen? How this is going to be rebuilt? Because God has shown Zechariah that he's going to bring light to the world once again. And you know how he's going to do it? Zechariah chapter 4 Verse 6. Listen to what it says. So he said to me, this is the angel, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Do you want to know how God accomplishes what he's doing in the world? Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. And I thought, wow, that is such an incredible reminder. But the next verse, I love what the next verse says, because this is what happens when the spirit goes to work. Verse 7, what are you, O mighty mountain? What are you, O mighty mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become level ground. Let me ask you something. You got some things in life right now that feel like a mountain of rubble? Perhaps it remains a mountain of rubble because you rely 
and I rely on me to get that done. And yet, God is saying, look, before you win them, let me win you. Because once you have my spirit, mountains, mountains will become level ground. There is nothing too difficult for the spirit of the Lord. So here's Jesus. You can imagine he's talking to the disciples. And he says, all nations, all nations you're going to take this to. It's a mountain. But with the spirit, it's level ground. That is level ground. Now, the name Mordecai Ham may not mean anything to you, other than the fact that you notice his last name is Ham, and I think that is the greatest last name. In fact, if I could choose a different last name than Harrison, it'd be Ham, Nathan Ham, all right? I'm in trouble if there's somebody named Zerubbabel Ham in the audience this morning. I'm sorry, all right? It just means you're blessed. Mordecai Ham was, was a man who traveled around and told people about Jesus back in the 1930s. And on October 9th of 1934, Mordecai Ham was scheduled to speak to some high school students. And on October 8th, 1934, he wrote something in his journal. He spoke about how discouraged he was. He spoke that he was possibly falling into a state of depression. And then he wrote out a prayer for October 9th. He said, Lord, we need your spirit tomorrow. I don't know what else to do. We need your spirit tomorrow. That next day, he spoke to a, a group of high school students. And a few of them gave their lives to Christ. One of them named Will Frank. Will Frank became who we know as Billy Graham. Billy Graham's message. Billy Graham's message is estimated to have gone out to over 2.2 billion people across all nations. See, this is what happens when the Spirit gets to work. And so God sits there like a coach, and he says, before you win them, before you win them, let me win you. Now, I, I sit there, and I look at that, and I go, okay, that's, that's a great attitude to carry through the day, but what do you do with that? I mean, what does that look like? And as I sit there and I look at that, I think, well, it jumps out from the pages of Luke chapter 24. I think there's one thing that we can do every single day, every single day, and it's one little word that Jesus said to the disciples, stay, stay. When you get up and you get out of bed in the morning, don't stay in bed. I mean, get out of bed and drop to your knees and stay. Because you know what happens when you stay? At least from personal experience, he gives you peace over your past. He gives you an encounter with the risen Jesus that assures you over all your doubts. And then he sends his spirit to overcome your strength. And so I don't think Jesus told them this silly rhyme, but in order for us to remember this, I, here's what I want you to remember. Start your day, stay. Start your day with stay. And watch what happens. Because as you walk out into the world, whether it's here in Littleton, or you find yourself in all nations one day, start your day with stay. And watch what he does in the lives of people around you. Before you win them, 
Let him win you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you um, in awe that you, we know that you are a God who you, you could have done, we say this over and over, you could have done all this without us, and yet you've chosen to do it with us. And so, Lord, let our hearts be attentive and let our ears be attentive to the voice that says, before you run out there to win them, let me win you. And Lord, speak to us. When, when we drop to our knees every morning, when we start the day with stay, open our minds to the scriptures. Give us your peace that overcomes our past. Give us an encounter with the risen Jesus. And then send your spirit, Lord. Work through us so that, that through us you would touch every single life we come across. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. West Bowles, thank you for coming. Have a great week.